Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we have all been glued to our devices more than ever. I know myself personally, I will be on my phone or I will be on my computer editing podcasts or just doing my regular job. So I'm on screens pretty much 24-7. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force for good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign you've been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters, and we know that you will feel the difference. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, your hair looks good. Thanks. You did it. (laughs) I did. Your hair looks good, too. Thanks. You did it. I did. Happy 50th episode. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Today is the 50th. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hit our year anniversary in like two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it the first week of June that yeah. you like dropped it? Like it was hot. So before we dive no in. No long pigs. No long pigs. I swear. Promise. I promise. This is going to be one of those quirky episodes, not like a super like, serious crime or anything gross. So this week we are dedicating this episode to a special guest. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. I'm Dean. Nice to meet you. And then what's your name? It's Warner. So we wanted to have you guys on the show this morning to tell mm-hmm. you that we are having our 50th episode, which is crazy. Wow. And we wanted to dedicate it to you. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? excited 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 because you're one of our youngest fans and Mm -hmm. we thought it was super cool that you listened to the show so we wanted to dedicate a special episode to you i listen to it too. i know you do dean so it could be dedicated to you too to the both of you Mm -hmm. thank Thank you. you you're welcome it's going to be about the red ghost of Arizona. Are you excited? <laughs> His favorites always involve the ghosts, so. We love you, Clyde. Awesome. <laughs> so this week, we are going to be discussing the red ghost of Arizona. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Is it red because of blood or red because of, what is it? Adobe? Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, okay. <laughs> I can't tell you right now. <laughs> Spoil it. <laughs> and we're done. It's blood. It's blood. Blood. As the children is blood. So information this week was pulled from the following sources. A 2017 Today in History blog post by Cape Cod Curmudgeon, who I want to be my new friend. Wow, that's quite the alliteration. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015 Smithsonian article by Chris Heller, 2015 True West article by Marshall Trimble, a 2010 Arizona Oddities article from the Arizonian by Marshall Trimble. Mm. So he gets a twofer. Yeah. A 1961 article in American Heritage by Robert Froman. Mm-hmm. Digitize because I'm not crazy. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Atlas Obscura, <laughs> Legends of America, Sometimes Interesting and strangehistory.org. Nice. Very thorough. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. The Wild West 
is home to a number of tall tales and even bigger characters. Today's story is a grisly ghost tale with facts that are a bit stranger than fiction. But they're facts. But they're facts. Ooh, okay. So one spring day in 1883, two women were at their small adobe home on Eagle Creek in the southeast area of the Arizona Territory, which was near New Mexico. Okay. The men were out surveying their herd of sheep because at that time, Geronimo and his Apaches had been raiding the area. This was like in the middle of the Apache Wars. They were just stealing sheep? Well, so they needed to go to check to make sure none of their flock had run off or been butchered to be eaten. You know what I mean? You would just like butcher a sheep and be like, oh, I got caught. And then you just like leave the dead sheep. Well, yeah. You'd like come back later. (laughs) So I tried to look this up. Because I didn't know very much about it. But apparently the Apache Wars, which were obviously taking place during this time, it wouldn't end for another three years until 1886. And during this period of time, it was more like small raiding parties would do a lot of stuff like this, where they would go and like attack people's livestock and things like that. It wasn't a common occurrence. It was just kind of a rogue group type of thing. An extra screw you guy. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it's like you wouldn't necessarily want to leave your wife and children home alone during this time on the off chance something should happen. And then they did. That's exactly what they did. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't want to do it, but they totally did it. They totally did it because sheep. Right. Sheep are more important than women. It's fine. Later that afternoon, one of the women left to grab water from a nearby spring that was hidden by a willow thicket. Shortly after the woman left, the dog in the house began to bark like crazy, which caused the woman in the house to rush towards the window. And what she saw was something monstrous. The woman outside screamed, but the woman in the house was too terrified by what she saw to go and help her. Instead, she barricaded the door and spent the day hysterically praying, even after the screams of her friend outside had long since stopped. Okay. So when the men returned around dusk, the woman in the house told them about what had happened how she'd heard the other woman scream when she went to get water and how she'd seen something red and huge with the devil himself upon its back after looking out the window to see what was wrong. So you're telling me that the devil was having a piggyback ride with some like terrible thing? That's what she described it as. Yes. I mean, I know it's supposed to be terrifying, but like how funny would it be to see the devil like on some like creature's shoulders? (laughs) Riding some devil pony. <laughs> like, come on, we're going to go to like Lollapalooza. <laughs> I hear Burning Man's this way, right? The men immediately set out with torches to investigate. And after reaching the spring, they found the body of the unfortunate woman trampled to death so severely in the mud that she was nearly flat. What? In the mud around her corpse were several cloven hoof prints twice the size of a horse. And amongst the willows were several long red hairs. So are you telling me that that's like the Looney Tunes red guy? No, it's not uh, Yosemite Sam. Gossamer. Gossamer. <laughs> it wasn't Gossamer. But he, I mean, he was wearing shoes, though, so we wouldn't know if he had hooves. A coroner from nearby Solomonsville was highly suspicious of the story, so he called for an inquest. He okay. was convinced that she had been murdered by her family, even though her body was horrifically battered from being trampled. And the nature of how she'd been found surrounded by unusual hoof prints made it pretty obvious that her family didn't beat her to death. Right. Ultimately, the jury came back with a verdict of, quote, death in some manner unknown, end quote, which is how it was reported in the Mojave County Minor newspaper in Kingman, Arizona. I hate it. A few nights after the poor woman was trampled to death, a group of prospectors camping near Chase's Creek outside Clifton were woken by the sound of thundering hoofs and terrified screams, not to mention the fact that something had caused their tent to collapse. After clawing their way out of the tent, the men saw the silhouette of what appeared to be a giant horse running through the camp in the moonlight. In the morning, the men shared the story with others in the mining town of Orr and several fellow miners returned with them to their campsite to investigate. They found several strands of red hair clinging to the nearby brush and several large cloven hoof prints. Crazy. But like nobody's seen a giant red horse yet. Mm-mm. Okay. 
A couple days later, the creature was spotted again by a group of teamsters that were camped on a lonely road. They woke up to the sound of a loud scream before the creature knocked over two freight wagons. It was described as being 30 feet tall, and once again, it left behind strands of red hair. At this point, it had developed the nickname of the Red Ghost. Okay, because nobody can catch it. Nobody really sees it. And it leaves behind red hair. Crazy. Okay. And I did read in one of the articles that the whole 30 feet tall thing, people kind of took that with a grain of salt because the freighters were hauling around large barrels of whiskey. Oh, and, you know, those barrels wouldn't go missing from time to time. So chances are they had been imbibing the wares as they were being Mm. transported. So technically quality control. Yep. As it continued to be seen around Arizona, tall tales began to sprout up about it around a number of campfires. One tale was that it killed a grizzly bear and ate it. Another involved a man claiming to have chased after it, only to see it disappear before his very eyes. And regardless of the telling, everyone agreed on one detail. The creature had a human skeleton attached to its back. Ew. It has like a little bone pit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Around a month after its first sighting, a rancher named Cyrus Hamblin, who lived on the Salt River, spotted the creature when he was rounding up his cattle some 80 miles around 129 kilometers northwest of Eagle Creek. And that's where it was first sighted. He recognized it based on the stories and the fact that it had what appeared to be a skeleton lashed to its back. After sharing his interaction with the creature, the Red Ghost, or Fantasia Colorado, as the Spanish-speaking settlers dubbed it, quickly became one of the most famous residents of the Arizona Territory. So, like, everyone's talking about this thing. Yeah. A few weeks after Hamblin's sighting, a group of miners were working along the Verde River about 60 miles or 97 kilometers west from Hamblin's ranch when they spotted the Red Ghost off in the distance. As soon as they started firing on it, because that's what you do when you see something like that. Right. It quickly took off, as most things do when you shoot at them. Right. As it ran off, they noticed something that fell off its back onto the ground. And after it was far enough away, the miners approached the spot where the item had landed, only to discover that it was a human skull with bits of flesh and hair. Gross. The discovery was later written about in the Mojave County Miner newspaper. About a year after the woman was trampled at Eagle Creek, a cowhand working at the anchored J.O.T. ranch outside of Phoenix came across the Red Ghost when he was riding past the branding corral. It was actually inside, like, grazing. It's like having a having a salad. Yeah. It was okay. like, this seems nice. Nom, nom, nom. As an experienced cowhand, he was able to successfully toss a lasso around its neck and secure it to his saddle. Unfortunately for him, that pissed it right off. Uh-huh. And the creature charged him and his horse, knocking them both over before it galloped away in a cloud of dust. Did he kill the horse? That's not the horse's fault. Nope. The man and the horse survived. Okay. And he confirmed that there was indeed a human skeleton of a man attached to the creature's back. The story surrounding the creature continued to grow in scope and craziness until 10 years later. On February 24th, 1893, when a okay. rancher named Mizzou Hastings spotted it grazing in his garden. The thing about the garden is really funny because okay. no one could agree on what he was growing. Some places said he was growing tomatoes, turnips, something else. But I just thought that was like the funniest thing that they just were trying to like focus on what he was growing in his garden. I'm just going to call it a garden because I have no hey. idea what it actually was. You can just say... Yeah, you don't even know if it's a vegetable garden at this point either. So Yeah, but yeah, every single site had some other, some different like vegetable that was growing in his garden. So like I would be changing it every time I would visit a new source. And then finally I was like, well, I, I don't even know anymore what this thing is. So I'm just going to say it's a garden. Right. Fuck it. It's a garden. <laughs> what does your garden grow? I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't know what's in it. I don't know. All right. This is the Wild West. I don't know. But it, but it brings the red monsters to the yard, you know, so <laughs> calm down. <laughs> And they're like, that's good garden. <laughs> like, that's the good shit. Some good garden. After grabbing his Winchester rifle, the rancher shot at the Red Ghost and dropped it with one shot. Oh, no. I have a new theory. What? The Red Ghost is at the Winchester Mystery House now. That'd be awesome. It just traveled all the way to California. He's got it. I mean, well, he was shot by a Winchester rifle. So that's, that's what happens. true. I wonder if people have spotted this creature there. 
Or they just like see this red hair and they're like, gross. Like, why are all these redheads <laughs> like, why are all losing these their hair? People? Losing their hair on the tour. God, gross. Imagine the staff going around with like the lint rollers, just picking up like strands of red hair everywhere. Giant like, red hair. And be like, these hoof prints. Somebody needs to stop bringing their emotional support pony <laughs> on this tour. I said, no ponies. <laughs> Biscuit is not invited. All nope. right. Sorry. Little Sebastian has to wait outside. So as he came to examine the corpse, he noted that the back of the animal, not to mention its shoulders and under its tail, were horrifically scarred from all of the rawhide ropes that had been used to attach the skeletal remains of an unknown man to it. Mm-hmm. And some of the ropes were like in the flesh. That's how tight yeah. these ropes were. By the appearance of the man and the fact that he was little more than a skeleton, it had been some time since he had been belted onto the animal. And strangest of all, perhaps, was the fact that the infamous red ghost was actually a camel. It was a camel? A camel. A red camel? A red camel. So you may be wondering to yourself, how does a camel end up roaming the wilds of Arizona? And that's what I'm going to tell you about. Oh, now I'm just sad because this is like a severely abused animal. But first, I need to tell you about a man named Jefferson Davis. Sounds like a dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to not going to refute that. So Jefferson Finnis Davis, born on June 3rd, 1808, received his military education at the United States Military Academy, also known as West Point, in late 1824 and graduated in June of 1828. Okay. After graduation, he was assigned to the 1st Infantry Regiment and served in the Army until 1845, when he became a member of the U.S. House of Representatives on behalf of the state of Mississippi. Okay. He also served as the Colonel of the Mississippi Rifle Militia Unit during the Mexican-American War Mm -hmm. before becoming the 23rd Secretary of War under President Franklin Pierce in 1853. Secretary of War. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're probably going, okay, where's the camels? I'm getting to it. So in 1848, when Davis was the Mississippi senator, quartermaster major Henry Wayne approached him with the idea of the army utilizing camels instead of horses as the army worked to expand the Southwest Territory. He explained how they could survive in the harsh climate of the desert where food and water tended to be scarce. Camels are also well known for their strength and stamina, able to carry twice that of a horse or a donkey. Okay. Davis thought his fellow officer might be onto something. He also proposed the idea of them potentially being used by the United States Postal Service to carry mail from the Missouri River out to the Pacific Coast. Okay, wow, that's quite the the horse, the horsepower there. Mm-hmm. The Senate at first voted down the idea. Mm-hmm obviously. Mm -hmm. But after newspapers in California started sharing the idea with their readers, the bill was eventually passed in 1855, and $30,000, or $876,769 today, was allocated for, quote, the purchase and importation of camels and dromedaries to be employed for military purposes, end quote. Oh, no. And what year was this? 1855. 1855. Okay. So as the newly minted Secretary of War, Davis ordered the creation of the first United States Camel Corps. The Camel Corps! And sent Major Henry Wayne, along with Lieutenant David D. Porter, on an expedition to Turkey via a Navy store ship to acquire 75 camels and an adequate number of trainers to teach the soldiers the proper care and handling of the creatures. Okay. After traveling to Alexandria and Smyrna and purchasing the camels for roughly $250 or $7,309 today each, they made their trip home. I'm sure it was quite the spectacle on May 14th, 1856, when the camels arrived by boat in Indianola, Texas. The U.S. Cavalry, along with seven Turkish and Arab handlers that came with them, traveled via land to Camp Verde in Kerr County, Texas, to start training. It became quite obvious as soon as they arrived that the horses and mules were not going to get along with the camels, so they had to be kept separate from one another. The camels got really antsy around all of, like, the whips and the, you know, like the things they would use to get the mules and the horses to move. Mm -hmm. They did not like that. Okay. 
And the fact that they had a less than desirable disposition and tended to wander off at night didn't endear them to the soldiers. Also, the fact that they will spit at you when you try to get them to do what they don't want. Mm -hmm. And if they bite you, they can do severe damage, like rip off a good chunk of your arm. So at first, the soldiers were like, what the fuck? This is a horrible idea. Right. In an effort to prove just how useful the camels would be to their cause, Major Wayne, who had spent the trip to Turkey learning all he could about the animals, conducted a demonstration for the soldiers who had been assigned to the Camel Corps. He brought a camel out and loaded it with two big bales of hay. The soldiers scoffed, claiming that no animal could lift that much cargo. Confident in his charges, he ordered two more bales to be added to the load. The soldiers' opinions quickly changed when the camel was able to not only get up easily, but start walking away at Major Wayne's command, proving just how valuable these creatures could be. An Arab handler named Haji Ali, who was extremely cheerful and lovingly referred to as High Jolly by the members of the Corps, trained the cavalry soldiers on how to use the animals properly as they started surveying West Texas, Arizona, and the New Mexico territories. Haji was also able to set up a successful breeding program at Camp Verde, and the soldiers would often use the camels to travel to San Antonio, like when they would need to go and get supplies and things like that. Yeah. One of the biggest supporters of the project was Lieutenant Edward F. Beale, who was a decorated hero of the Western Territories. After several months training with the camels, on orders from Washington, Lieutenant Beale was sent on an expedition through the desert in the middle of summer from Fort Defiance, New Mexico to California with 25 camels. Okay. Five months and 1,200 miles or 1,931 kilometers, Beale's group arrived at Fort Tayan, an army outpost outside of Los Angeles. Beale surveyed what would later become the western portion of the famous Highway 66. Nice. Of the creatures, Beale wrote, quote, My admiration for the camels increases daily with my experience of them, end quote, in an official survey report in the spring of 1858. Beale even had a favorite mount, a large white camel he named Seed that stood eight feet tall at the top of its hump. Dang. And he treated it better than most frontiersmen treated their prized horses. Unfortunately for Seed, it was killed at Fort Trayon by a younger, larger camel in the herd. A soldier in the company, who was also a trained veterinarian, shipped the body to Washington so it could be preserved by the Smithsonian Institute. Fun fact. The bones of seed are still amongst the collections of the National Museum of Natural History. That's crazy. I know. Seed lives on. Seed lives on. As final tests for their superiority over horses and mules, an expedition was led from Arizona into California, where the camels forded the Colorado River with ease. They then traveled from Los Angeles into the Sierra Nevada mountain range, where they were easily able to adapt to not only the high altitudes, but also the cold weather. Amazing. A 1930 entry by A.A. Gray in the California Historical Society quarterly paper noted this trip as follows, quote, Beale had driven his camels more than 1,200 miles in the heat of the summer through a barren country where feed and water were scarce and over high mountains where roads had to be made in the most dangerous places. He had accomplished what most of his closest associates said could not be done, end quote. With all of this evidence, John B. Ford, who replaced Davis as the new Secretary of War, made a formal recommendation to Congress in December of 1858 that they increase the Camel Corps and import a thousand more camels. Even though it was obviously a success, the Camel Corps was disbanded as the Civil War expanded west. And Davis himself became president of the Confederacy in 1862. Around 60 camels remained at Camp Verde with three handlers, a Turk named Elias, whose son Plutarco Elias Gallas would go on to become president of Mexico, a Greek named Georges Zaralamp, and Haji Ali, who I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, after Haji's death, a commemorative monument was placed over his grave topped with a statue of a camel. Cute. In 1863, Confederate forces seized Camp Verde and the remaining camels that were at the camp. A quote from a 1909 article in Popular Science said, quote, 
Three of them were caught in Arkansas by Union forces, and in 1863, they were sold in Iowa at auction. Oh, funny. Others found their way into Mexico. A few were used by the Confederate Post Office Department, end quote. So they did get to work for the post office. They did. But for the Confederacy. Yeah. One camel that was dubbed Douglas was taken to Mississippi, where he served with the 43rd Infantry Regiment. Douglas, the Confederate camel, was seen throughout the siege of Vicksburg before he was shot and killed by a Union sharpshooter. Lieutenant Colonel Robert Bevier of the 5th Regiment of the Missouri Confederate Infantry was so pissed about the murder of Douglas that he had six of his best snipers take care of Douglas's killer. Dang. Of the federal soldier, Bevier was later quoted as saying, quote, I refused to hear his name and was rejoiced to learn that he had been severely wounded, end quote. Don't mess with another man's camel. They even buried the camel and it's got like a grave marker and everything. Oh, Douglas. About a decade after they'd arrived on U.S. soil, the bulk of the camels had been sold at auction, with many going to anyone who wanted one, while others found themselves as part of circuses and zoos. In the 1880s, what remained of those that hadn't been sold were believed to have been released into the wilds of Texas to wander as they saw fit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Over the years, prospectors or ranchers would see a quote-unquote wild camel fending for itself in the desert, which was hard on these animals that had become domesticated over the span of the last decade. Yeah, they didn't know any better anymore. Of those that were recaptured, their fates tended to go one of two ways. Mm. They were either used as target practice by sadistic frontiersmen, or freighters would attempt to put them back to work before ultimately releasing them back into the wild when they couldn't get them to behave because they didn't know how to right. they use weren't them. Ox or mules, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. they didn't know how to use them. Mm. Regardless of the fact that it was a horrible idea to release a foreign animal into a new ecosystem, right. it is still part of one of the longest mysteries of the Wild West. Who was the man attached to the back of the camel and why was he tied to it in the first place? Right. There are theories that he was someone who was being punished for some sort of wrongdoing or perhaps a Union soldier from Camp Verde that was tied to the animal by Confederate soldiers after they took over the camp during the Civil War. Mm. There's also the possibility that he was a member of the Camel Corps who had been tied to his mount as he learned to ride. Another is that it was a traveler who tied himself to the beast, hoping it would lead him to water before he ultimately died of thirst. According to an editorial piece that was published in the Mojave County Minor, quote, the only question is whether the man was tied on for revenge or merely as an ugly piece of humor by someone who had a camel and a corpse for which he had no use, end quote. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most horrifying thing to consider is whether the man was alive when he was essentially attached to the camel's back. Historians agree that the act could only have been done by a white man as any of the indigenous peoples of the area would have seen the camel as a solid source of meat and not an animal to needlessly torture. Yeah, they respected all creatures with the white men. (laughs) And along this vein, I have one more tale for you. Okay. It's the story of a prospector named Jake who purchased three camels when the army sold at auction. Okay. Even though they did, in fact, have a generally unpleasant attitude, Jake spent a lot of time caring for the animals, and he had nothing but good things to say about them. After Jake struck at rich prospecting, he led his camels, which were all carrying his loot, into the nearby town so he could sell the ore he'd acquired. Afterwards, he went to a local saloon, where a man named Paul Adams listened intently to his tales of striking it rich. Mm-hmm. When Jake left town to return to his mine, he didn't go directly there, instead taking a roundabout route since he had a feeling he was being followed. And he was correct. Paul Adams was tailing him in hopes he'd lead him straight to his gold. Ooh. Even though he'd been careful, Paul still found Jake after he'd camped for the night and believing that they were at the site of the mine, he murdered him. Mm. In an effort to protect its owner, one of the camels attacked Paul and found itself shot for its troubles, but only after it had aggressively bitten Paul. Uh-oh. Realizing he wasn't at the side of the mine, Paul began to search in earnest until one night the ghost of Jake and his dead camel approached his camp and scared him into fleeing. 
straight into town. Terrified, Paul went straight to the sheriff's office and made a full confession of the murder of Jake. And it's unclear if the spirits of Jake and his loyal camel still roam the Arizona desert at night. That's cute. Sad, but kind of cute. And as a final note, I need to share the inspiration of this tale. Georgette, a scrap metal camel in Quartzsite, Arizona. Quartzsite is a small town whose graveyard is the final resting place for Haji Ali. And the statue, which is life-sized and created from random car and motorcycle parts, sits outside the Gem World store on Main Street. And yes, she's a deep red. And that is the story of the Red Ghost of Arizona. Really dark. There are definitely some sweet parts to it, but pretty sad. It's just crazy to think that we, at one point in history, had, had a, a camel core. A camel core. <laughs> yeah. Like, who would have thought, you know? I know. And they did say in some of the places where I was researching that there were still, up until like 1923, there were still sightings of wild camels all along the Southwest, like in California, in New Mexico, in Texas, Arizona, just all over the place where people would just like run into them randomly out in the desert or they'd come into town and, you know, wreak havoc or whatever. Bananas. That's crazy. There aren't any more wild camels in Arizona anymore, but oh. I just thought it was funny that for almost 100 years, there was just random cam- camels. Hey, guy. Oh, hi. It's a nice garden you got there. And because this is our 50th episode, mm-hmm. I had reached out and asked people to submit either well wishes or audio clips or questions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go through some of what we've gotten from our listeners. Okay. So this first is a letter from our friend Tarma. Hey. And she Hi, says, Tarma. congratulations on 50 episodes. I love the podcast. I found this podcast when I was searching for a new true crime podcast one day, and I came across this one. It has two of my very favorite things, history and true crime. What could be better? Started listening, and the rest, as they say, is history. Hmm. Being a history buff who enjoys studying the darker elements of history, I truly appreciate that you give all the gory details because I feel it's important to know exactly what happened, no matter how grim it is. If we're to learn anything, then we need to know all of it. Sugarcoating events is of no use and serves no purpose, in my opinion. And she said, I enjoy the repartee. You and Maddie have a wonderful chemistry and mesh very well together. The podcast also has a very homey feel to it. And while I'm listening, it's like sitting at a table in a pub with friends, beverages of choice on the table and chatting about history. Her favorite episodes include, but are not limited to, Murder on the Prairie, which was about vendors. Yeah. (laughs) The death grass. Divorce is dreadful. Beer is better, which was about the wife selling. Mm -hmm. Bly Golly, she's a good reporter about Nellie Bly. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish things had been different. That was one of our mock madness ones. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Yeah. Back Alley Hauntings, which was one of the ones that you had chosen about Tombland Alley. Mm-hmm. A Nursery Rhyme to Die For, and that was the Marianne Cotton one. Mm-hmm. And None Thank You, I'm Good, which is the one about <laughs> the nun that ate shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And she continues, I really, really, really enjoy Yield Crime and look forward to hearing more. Good luck to you both and all the very, very best to you both in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Tarma. Happy 50th episode to Yield Crime podcast. You guys have done an amazing job. um, And I had the honor of uh, obtaining a new nickname uh, after supporting uh, your equipment purchases, and little did I know, an entire month worth of wicked mock, like wicked stories, wicked old crimes. Uh, because there's nothing. I like some wicked. I like the wicked. It was really good. But you're doing amazing work. You've got some really innovative ideas that even I'm learning about. Uh, after my tenure as a podcaster myself, uh, there's still really great new tricks uh, and new ideas that you bring to the table. And you're an amazing supporter of the rest of the community. Congratulations on your 50th episode. And I wish you continued success. uh, And and, uh, in the only crimes that really matter, the old crimes, particularly wicked old crimes. 
Hi, Lindsay and Manny. Congratulations on your 50th episode. Woo! This is Ashley, by the way. Probably could have led with that, but you know I'm a ham. I bet when you started Yield Crime, you had no idea you'd find yourselves here about 300. Wow. Yeps, later, but here you are, still crushing it like total pros. I just wanted to thank you both for all the laughter and hilarity you brought into my life, and for the, let's just say, colorful warning about beef tea. It's disgusting. I will never forget it. Anyway, I love you ladies. Keep on keeping on, and I wish you all the best as you move forward with Yield Crime. And now we have a list of questions from Rebecca of the Thrice Cursed podcast. Okay. She wants to know what caused you to choose historic crimes as your niche? I think you have to answer this one. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I chose that because I knew that there were there are hundreds of podcasters out there that cover all of the more recent cases and they do a much better job than I knew I could. And I've Mm -hmm. always been more drawn to the cases that you don't hear about as often or the ones that are more historical in nature, just because some of the events and how they unfold are just so fantastical to hear that you can't like really wrap your mind around how something like that could have actually happened. Mm -hmm. To me, it seems a lot more comical in that sense. And I kind of wanted it to be while we are talking about actual things that happened and the historical context in which they happen. It's it's fun to make fun of things. So yeah. and not take it too what's the word I'm looking for? Too literally or too seriously, I guess. Yeah. And her next question is how difficult is it for you to find information given how far back the crimes took place? Mm-hmm. Depending on the case, it can be very difficult. There have been some stories that I've covered where since we list the sources at the top, I'll only have like five or so sources because it's so hard to find content i do try to if i can't find anything look see if whatever it is is on wikipedia and then look at the source material that is referenced on the wikipedia entry yeah so i can see if there's any sort of digital books or academic papers on the subject itself sometimes Mm -hmm. like in the case of nelly bly i'll have an actual ebook that i can read but yeah there are times when i have to get to like page 10 in like the Google search before I find some stuff that I can actually use. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of depends on what the case is. Cause there are some where like in the case of Marianne Cotton, she's famous enough where you can find stuff about her anywhere. Yeah. It kind of depends on what I'm talking about. And then she says, is there a historic crime that you feel like more people should know about it, but don't. Hmm. I mean, Mary Cotton was pretty bananas. Mm-hmm. But like a, st- a historic crime that we haven't covered yet. Or just one that, more people don't know about but they should i one of my favorite historic true crimes that we can't cover and i've mentioned it in the past because it happened after 1900s is the hinterkaifeck murders mm. and it's just it's got everything it's got it all <laughs> it's got it all it's got mystery it's got intrigue it's got someone that potentially lived in the attic and had been living there for potentially years It's got potential incest. Like there's like all this stuff like going on with this story. We will never know what actually happened. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those stories that, I mean, it's been covered on lore. It's been covered in a few other places that did a really good job with it. But it's one of those stories where it's like, I need to know. (laughs) I want to know what happened. And I feel like a lot of people just have never heard of it before. Yeah. Are you just stumped? (sighs) Kind of, because I'm trying to think of like crimes that nobody has, like nobody knows about. Like I don't know. It, I feel like I feel like we in general should know more about like a lot of the railroad murders that happened during that time, and how like so many unsolved mystery, like unsolved murders, were probably like a train conductor, <laughs> like going through, or somebody who worked on the line, and like it was it was so so much easier to get away with like robbing and murdering and mm-hmm. assaulting. So you could just like change who you are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I also think okay, maybe this one. Who was the 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 female pirate again? Shingshi. Yeah, like 
how did we not know about that? Yeah. Like she was so prolific in her career and during her time. And I had no clue she existed. Like yeah. that's definitely one where I'm like, why, why didn't I know about it? Yep. <laughs> like it's just bananas. Yeah. To this day, that is still one of my favorite cases that we've covered just because mm-hmm. it was so cool learning about her. Right. Like she was just badass and taking names mm-hmm. like her whole life. Another question from Rebecca is how do you go about finding new cases? <laughs> One of the ways that I go about finding new cases is actually by subscribing to the Atlas Obscura newsletter mm-hmm. because every once in a while things will come through about historic events where I'll be like, Ooh, what's that? <laughs> and I'll click on it and check it out. And if it's something that fits within our genre, Mm-hmm. and timeline then i will add it to my handy dandy spreadsheet of future topic ideas and also if i just happen to be on twitter like going through my feed if something pops up or someone shares an article about something that i have never heard of before but is mm-hmm. very obviously an older crime then i will bookmark that shit and add it to the list yeah how big is your list right now um, we probably have another like two and a half years worth of content on back burner. That's crazy. Just like ideas that I have written down. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm going to do all of them. It just means that they're there. I could like end up looking into them more and being like, this doesn't really fit. But yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good, though. It's good that you have you have a lot of choices. So you can kind of pick and choose what you feel like Mm -hmm. reporting on that week. There have definitely been times like with the story of um, Black Bart. I think I pushed that story back like two months just because I wasn't in the mood to research it. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was like, we're going to do a Wild West story this week. And then I just went for it. Yeah. And this last one that she asked, both of us are required to answer it. Oh, no. Okay. She said, if you could hear Bohemian Rhapsody remade as acapella or death metal, which would you choose? Death metal. I would also like to hear it death metal. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody, everybody does it acapella. Be impressive. I went a step further and imagined um, Disturbed covering it. Mm. I feel like he's got the voice for it and the range. Yeah. What if like Nine Inch Nails did it? Oh, yeah. Trent Reznor could probably do it. Mm-hmm. Could put some stank on it. Put some stank. Mm-hmm. That's a good. I like that. I didn't think about Trent yeah. Reznor. Yeah, he'd probably do something really cool with it. Yeah. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, Trent Reznor comes out with a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's like, God, <laughs> have you God ever damn it! Of, have you ever heard of Yield Crime? <laughs> you son of a bitch! Where are my royalties, Trent? Where are my royalties? (laughs) Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm from the Jury Room Podcast. And I just want to give a huge congratulations to Lindsay and Madison from the Ye Old Crime Podcast. Congratulations, ladies, on your 50th episode. Here's to 50 more. Make sure, if you haven't, leave these ladies some reviews, subscribe, buy them a coffee, show them all the love in the world. I also want to give them a huge congratulations on joining the Oracle Network. Here's to 50 more, ladies. Hey, Lindsay and Madison. It's Melanie from Mask of Sanity wishing you a big congratulations for reaching your 50th episode. That is such a huge accomplishment, and I'm so proud of you. I'm really glad we've been able to connect and support each other's shows, and I can't wait to see what you come up with for the next 50. I do have a couple of questions for you, ladies. The first is, what's been your biggest reward since starting your show? And the second is, what are your goals for the upcoming year for Ye Old Crime? Again, a huge congratulations for reaching 50 episodes. You should be so proud of that accomplishment. And I wish you all nothing but the best for your future in the show and in podcasting. And we have a couple of questions that came from Melanie of the Mask of Sanity podcast. Okay. She wants to know what's been your biggest reward since starting your show? Biggest reward. It's going to sound super cheesy, but like keeping in contact with you. Do you think we've gotten closer? I don't think 
we've gotten closer, but I think we were like, this was kind of a way to like ground each other in a really crappy time where we were able to kind of do some escapism. Mm-hmm. help other people do some escapism themselves and then just kind of have fun with it. Mm-hmm. So what about you? I would say my biggest reward since starting the show is just being able to meet some really great people that I mm-hmm. never would have had the opportunity to meet had we not started a podcast. Yeah. Like I have no idea how I would have ever met these people otherwise. So it's a blessing. <laughs> a blessing. And she also wants to know, what are your goals for the next year of Yield Crime? Getting a trampoline. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say it. (laughs) But now your youngest wants one too, so. Yeah. There's more motivation. Yeah, because one of her friends has a trampoline in her backyard, so. I know, we got to keep up. We got to maintain the image in the trampoline. What? That says a precedent. Like, what if one of her friends gets a pony? I'm not buying a fucking horse. Like, <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. For one, you can find a camel. Two, <laughs> I just need to go to Arizona. <laughs> it's not just her. Like, I also want it. I don't want a horse. So that you could use that as the argument. There you go. Perfect. Hi, Lindsay and Maddie. It's Ariel from Malice. I wanted to let you know I'm so excited for you. You have put together one of my absolute favorite podcasts of any genre, the macabre, history, crime, and irreverent senses of humor. I absolutely adore you both. And I just don't know what I'd do if I didn't have my weekly dose. So here's to you. Cheers to you and to many, many more episodes. Hello, Lindsay and Madison of the Old Crime Podcast. This is Dustin from Sandman Story Presents Podcast. I just wanted to say congrats on episode 50. And also thank you so very much for making a podcast that marries true crime to history. I love hearing history. And by throwing in crime, you just make it all the better. So congrats to the first 50. And here's to another 50. And many, many more. Thank you. Okay. This letter comes from Aaron of the I Had to Say It podcast. Okay. And he says, I honestly never considered myself a true crime person, but I was always a fan of history. I find myself enjoying both every time I listen to your show. You are both amazing and I look forward to every new episode. Keep up the great work and here is to another 50 and more. All the best. Hey, thanks. I know. 50 and more. (laughs) We're just going to (laughs) stop. This is our last episode. We're going to stop at the trampoline. I don't know what you people think. This is about, this is all a Ponzi scheme to get a trampoline. And then we're going to stop. And we're just going to bounce. Bye-bye. Literally. Literally. Our last post will be us bouncing on a trampoline. And then we're like, bye. It's just us bouncing off into the sunset. Yeah. Oh, man. Hi guys, it's Cherry from Crimepedia Podcast. Congratulations on your 50th episode. Here's to 50 more and you guys are amazing. Well done. Congratulations. What's this for again? Yo, Crime Podcast. It's Lindsay and Madison's 50th birthday or something. They're looking good, aren't they? Didn't even realise they were twins. Are they the ones with a better knowledge of historic crimes in North East England than us, even though they live 60 million miles away? Shut Claire. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. It's Sean, Claire and Gareth from Everyone Dies in Sunderland, a podcast about growing up terrified in the 80s and 90s. The best thing about having your own podcast is getting to meet awesome people from the other side of the world. And you guys are undoubtedly the awesomest. And you are even better to record with than you are to listen to. Congratulations on reaching 50 Not Out. You have totally deserved the opportunity to raise your bats towards the pavilion. This is a cricket reference that you're surely used to by now. This is our last write-in, okay. and it's from Trevor of the the Digressor podcast. Okay. And he says, I just have to say that I listen to a bunch of true crime podcasts, and this is one of the most unique ones. Pretty sure I've told them before, but because of the area they chose to cover, it's basically guaranteed that they'll tell a story I've never heard before. There's been a couple I had heard about before, but they fleshed them out with more details in a way that it was like I'd never heard it before. was going to try picking my favorite episodes, but I scrolled through and couldn't find them. The two stories that stick out the most to me is that lady whose skeleton was passed around for a couple years before she was buried. And that was the fighting Mm. fairy woman of Bodwin. Yeah. 
and the one about how bugs and rodents used to be put on trial. That's <laughs> still one of my favorites. <laughs> I will always like bring that one up first. And he said, I went looking for the specific episodes, but couldn't find them. Anyway, congratulations on 50 episodes. I look forward to hearing what you do next. Hopefully this is only the beginning. 500 episodes later, I'll still be listening. Wow, that's so cute. Yeah. 500 episodes. We better have like 12 trampolines by that point. <sighs> How I get to work. I just like bounce in succession to like <laughs> our podcast office. <laughs> you know, Minneapolis has like those, the Skyway. We have like a bounce way. <laughs> but it's got to be like a hamster thing. Like, so it is mm-hmm. like a true Skyway. So there's like mesh netting that goes over each of the different trampolines. Yeah. So you're like always protected from the elements. And the last one is like a slide to slide us into our office. It's like the inflatable slide, like when the airplane crashes. Into a ball pit. Mm-hmm. Good luck, person who's cleaning that. God. <laughs> Take out every single ball and sanitize. <laughs> every day. Hey, Maddie and Lindsay. This is Emily from Drink Drunk Dead and Pineapple Pizza Podcasts. I just wanted to wish you guys a happy 50th episode. It's almost your one year anniversary, or is it actually officially your one year? I'm not sure. 52 weeks is a year, but 50th anniversary. Either way, it's cool. So I wanted to congratulate you guys on 50 episodes. I think it's amazing. And I know that probably some of your listeners might be tired of hearing my name. They're, they're thinking that maybe I'm a little partial because Lindsay and I are friends. But I think probably what a lot of them don't realize is that Lindsay and I weren't friends when I started listening to Ye Old Crime. I'd come across her podcast in uh, another podcasting group and I started listening to it. I think it was maybe at episode 10 and I was instantly hooked. The subject matter was just so different than what any of the other true crime podcasters were doing. And you two were hilarious. I was dying of laughter in every episode, even in the episodes that were sometimes kind of hard to listen to. Some of the matter could be a little dark. You guys had this way of bringing something light into it, especially with your something good at the end. I I really liked that you did something a little different. So I was hooked from episode 10 and I kind of, I fangirled and then I finally got to meet Lindsay and through Lindsay, I got to meet Maddie and I got to know both of you and get to work with you. And it's been this awesome roller coaster and it's really been an honor to get to know you guys and count you among my friends. and. I'm just so happy for you guys to have made it this far and to be succeeding. I mean, you're kicking butt because this is a good show. There's a reason that people love it and keep coming back. You're bringing content that nobody else brings. You're bringing a sense of humor that you two play off of each other so freaking well. Maddie, you have me cracking up every damn week. I cannot stop laughing. Sometimes I'm in tears because you two are so freaking funny. And then I think... I don't know for everybody else, but for me, one of my favorite things is how many women in crime that you talk about. So many other podcasts focus so heavily on like the male serial killer aspect of crimes or just just the more masculine side of crime. And you take a different view of it. There there are a lot of you bring forth a lot of women and uh, female centric stories, which I think is really cool. That there's this whole side of history that I think gets overlooked and you're bringing these stories to people in a new way that they've never heard them before, if they've ever heard them before. I mean, how many of those witch stories had any of us ever known of? I know I didn't. But anyway, I'm rambling. I just wanted to tell you guys that I love you. I love your show. I'm 100% addicted. I have to listen every week religiously. Like it's the one, one of the few podcasts that I, I have to tune into every single week. So congratulations, you guys kick butt, and I'm looking forward to another year of amazing content and hilarious laughs. I love you. So yeah, thank you everybody who submitted their stories, their questions, Mm -hmm. your recorded messages to us. It really does mean a lot. And very sweet. It's very surreal to be here right now and Mm -hmm. to know how far we've come and to know that people like to listen to us which is bananas i I still don't believe it so thank you very much everybody Mm -hmm. hey listeners yeah we're talking to you 
We're Depth of Darkness, the podcast that dives deep into all things dark and wrong in this world. I'm Mandy. I'm retired major, huge ass. In your face. If you like true crime, horror movie reviews, real life paranormal experiences, creepy pastas, and diving deep into the unknown, then join us on this journey into the darkness. You can find us on all podcast platforms simply by searching Depth of Darkness. So go ahead, give us a listen. You know you want to. And this week's podcast plug is the Depth of Darkness podcast, which okay. also happens to be the May podcast of the month on the Oracle Network. Nice. Congratulations. And the Depth of Darkness dives deep into all things dark, creepy, paranormal, and wrong in this world. And the hosts top it all off with some dark humor. Sounds like a good way to offset it. Yeah. So we will have a link to their podcast and also a link to the Oracle Network website in case you want to check out not only Depth of Darkness, but the other podcasts that are part of the Oracle Network. So on that note, what's something good you'd like to share this week? Well, we all we said that we had like a sister date Mm -hmm. and I really liked that. One thing that I don't know if it was good, but it was kind of crazy on my way home. From seeing you, I was reaffirmed that I live in the wild, wild state of the Midwest in general. Because when I left your house, it was sunny and hot and like kind of humid and about like 76 degrees. And on my way home, there was, it started to rain and there was a two mile stretch of four inches of snow and the temperature had dropped down to 40 and then to the left of the, of the road was like a really deep blue sky and pretty white clouds. And to the right was a green, dark, stormy landscape with lightning <laughs> striking the ground. And after the snow, there was fog and it got up to like 60. And then there was another patch of like 100 feet of snow, like not at, like a, it was 100 foot, like kind of radius. And it was, mm-hmm. again, about four inches of snow. And then the closer I got to my house, uh, it just kept getting warmer and warmer and warmer and the fog went away. And then when I got out of my car, there was like just this rolling thunder for like a minute. And it just felt like somebody had pressed all the buttons to experience all the seasons. And it was one of the strangest weather experiences I've ever encountered in my life. And I wish I recorded it, but I was too petrified too, because I I was too scared at first because I thought I was like, oh my God, that's so much hail. Yeah. And then when I looked at the temperature gauge, I was like, oh my God, it's snow. What? <laughs> so I don't know what scared me more, the fact that it was snow or the fact that it wasn't hail or what it was might have been hail. I don't know. It's kind of crazy end to the day. How about you? So my something good is I was curious to know about how our show had been doing up to this point. Mm-hmm. Over the past 11 months, we have charted in some form or another, in Denmark, France, Ireland, Kuwait, Malaysia, Netherlands, Philippines, Portugal, Singapore, and Uruguay, in addition to ranking in the true crime space globally. That's just ridiculous. And ridiculous. yeah, so I am very grateful for that. Like, it just seems... At one point we were like number three in Kuwait or something like that. Like <laughs> we were like, hey. <laughs> I was just like, not Kuwait. It was like episode seven or something yeah, like that. It was way early. <laughs> and I was just like, what? This is cool. And then like we like immediately tanked like the day after we recorded. Yeah. <laughs> it was like spot 17. And it was like, you're out of the charts. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're old news. Bye. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. and on that note i'm gonna start to shut her down sounds good let's do it you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com we're also on twitter at yieldcrimepod and on instagram at yieldcrimepodcast you can also find us on youtube there's links to our channel in the show notes and you can also find us by searching for yield crime podcast if you would like to send us something in the mail you know that thing that is still happening but not via camel post unfortunately yeah you can do so to our p.o box which is yield crime mm-hmm. p.o box 341 wyoming minnesota 55092 you can also email us anytime 
day or night at right. youcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send your questions. Send us some funny gifts. I love gifts. I love gifts too. Those are without the tea. I mean, I like gifts as well, but gifts. Right. You can also really help out the show by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you catch your podcasts. The most popular platforms are on Apple and Podchaser, but I know that Podbean also allows you to leave reviews. Mm-hmm. It's a really great free way to support the show and just help people find us. And along that vein, I'm going to share a five-star review we received on Podchaser from the Curious Nixons podcast. Nice. And they said, I love the stories and the way they are delivered. They have such interesting content and are great to listen to. Can't wait to hear more. Keep up the good work. Thank you, ladies. Those guys are awesome. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. You can also support us by purchasing merch on our Public store. And there will be a sale this week. It'll be on Thursday and Friday, so May 20th and 21st. You'll mm-hmm. be able to get 35% off everything in the store. Saving money it, is amazing. Saving money is the best. And getting cool things is also the best. <laughs> and on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time. And maybe for another 500 episodes. <laughs> with another tale. Our oldest crime.